I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna, the Arsenal podcast, part of the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simiu, and on this edition of the show, we're going to be talking Rafinha, we're going to be talking Jesus, we're going to be talking about Matt Turner, Saliba, and plenty, plenty more. Uh, big hello to everybody joining us in the live chat box. Uh, big hello uh, to everybody who is watching this back later on or who is listening to this back a little bit later on as well. Hope you're all good. Hope you're all keeping well. Hope you've all enjoyed your weekends so far. I always talk about the weather because it really does play a big part in my mood. But the sun is shining here in North London. Arsenal are making moves in the transfer market. There's not really much more I can ask for today, if I'm being honest. So uh, looking forward to getting into this one. We haven't done a full-length podcast since Friday. Um, was it Friday? Yeah, Friday uh, was the last one we did. Dropped a little video on Friday night, bringing you uh, the breaking news around Gabriel Jesus and the fact that Arsenal and Manchester City had come uh, to an agreement over the fee, uh, which is obviously very, very positive and signifies and indicates that this is moving in the right direction. Uh, but today I wanted to focus on Rafinha. Now that it seems that Jesus is, is moving and moving in the right direction, I really do want to focus on the Rafinha stuff because obviously this has intensified even more over the past few days. Now we heard uh, just days ago that Arsenal had gone in and made an official offer to Leeds United for Rafinha. But according to David Ornstein and Phil Hay of The Athletic, the Leeds correspondent, Arsenal were nowhere near meeting Leeds United's valuation. And a lot of people got irritated by that, frustrated by that. I spoke about it at the time. I feel like what's happened in the past kind of fueled the reaction to that from the Arsenal fan base. As I said at the time, it's common practice to go in with a lower offer at the first time of asking. It's common practice to go in there, make your intent clear, potentially unsettle the player a little bit, prove to the club that you're, and not just the club, but the players' representatives, that you are serious about making uh, this move. And the likelihood is that you're going to have to go back in two, three times before you come to some sort of compromise and some sort of agreement with the selling club in order to facilitate the transfer. So I'm not surprised that David Ornstein reported yesterday that Arsenal will be intensifying their efforts to sign Rafinha next week. He goes on to say that more talks are planned with the players' camp and an increased offer is expected to be made. Now, there were rumours the other day that Arsenal had already made a second offer. So if this is going to be the second offer or the third offer, I'm not entirely sure. And that's not entirely clear. Um, if you're going to go by David Ornstein, and, and you know that's a, a much more trusted source than some of the sources that are saying that actually we already made a second bid, then you can probably come to the conclusion that it's more likely that this is Arsenal's second offer that they are currently preparing. Uh, apparently, the feeling among the rest of the suitors... Now, remember, Barcelona have been interested in Rafinha for a while. Chelsea are said to be interested in Rafinha, as are Tottenham Hotspur. But according to David Ornstein, the feeling among the rest of the suitors for Rafinha is that Arsenal lead the race to sign the Brazilian and that the player himself is open to a move to Emirates Stadium. And we kind of get caught up in this weird space then, don't we? Because I remember when when all the Vlavic stuff was going on, people were saying, oh my God, 
if he doesn't want to be here, then there's no way we should be trying to get this player. Like, why are we trying to convince him? He should automatically want to move to the Arsenal. Well, the reality is that when you're not right at the top table, when you're not competing for the Premier League, when you're not in the Champions League, it's not always easy um, to to kind of get your head above the parapet in terms of making yourself known, making yourself noticed and getting yourself in front of players as a preferred option, right? You you have to do a bit of work to convince them that the project is the right one, that where this team is going is the right direction because you can't prove it factually. Like you can't, yeah, okay, Arsenal finished fifth last season instead of eighth in the two seasons prior. So you can show that there's progress, but you can't show that Arsenal are a Champions League standard team because they're not. So you have to convince the player that you can get there with their help and you can get there pretty damn quickly. And that's the challenge that Arsenal find in the market these days. But, you know, based on what we're hearing, based on all accounts, uh, you know, Gabriel Jesus, very, very keen to join Arsenal now. That deal seems to be edging towards closure. And it seems as though we've managed to convince Rafinha that this would be a good option for him as well. But the stumbling point remains, Arsenal are yet to agree a fee with Leeds United. Now, I keep talking about that Barcelona interest, and it kind of feels like a bit of a moot point at times because of the fact that we know Barcelona's financial situation prevents them coming along, clicking their fingers, giving Leeds the money that they want, and walking off into the sunset with Rafinha. It's, it's a situation that, you know, at the moment, Barcelona are struggling with, but we do know, and it's an interesting point that's been made by a few people over the last few days, that Manchester United are trying to sign Frankie de Jong from Barcelona. They're looking to bring in the Dutchman, and there are rumours that a deal has been agreed between the two clubs that sits at around about £70 million. Now, that would fund a transfer for Rafinha if he is indeed Barcelona's top, top priority. But I would question whether he is the top number one priority, given that they're likely to use Frankie, uh, lose sorry, Frankie de Jong, a central midfield player. They're two totally different players. And when you add to that the fact that we've heard in the last few days that Ousmane Dembele is closing in on signing a new contract at Barcelona, you start to wonder if Barcelona might think that, OK, yes, we like Rafinha. Yes, there's an interest in Rafinha, but we need to spend that money to replace a central midfielder that we're about to lose, as opposed um, to, you know, spending it on a winger. There's a massive wasp just flown in on top of my head, if you're wondering why I'm like, like ducking around. Uh, it's just gone out the door now. That's the problem when you leave the door open, right? Because it's too warm. Um, but anyway, yeah, going back to what I was saying, you know, you lose Frankie de Jong, an instrumental midfielder, someone who's very, very important to your team and someone who has the ability to dictate games from a very key and essential area of the park. You can't just ignore that and then spend the money to replace Frankie de Jong on a player that won't be able to give you what he gives you in that position. And so that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think that Barcelona need to do more business in terms of outgoings if they're going to be able to fund the Rafinha deal. I also think that Barcelona uh, would need to discard or decide against giving Usman Dembele a new contract in order to make room for Rafinha. I don't think that both of those things are going to happen. So I don't think Barcelona are going to raise more money uh, after the Frankie de Jong sale in order to be able to replace 
in both the centre of midfield, but also on the flank as well. And I also don't think they're going to let Usman Dembele go now. So I think that the, the likelihood of Rafinha going to Barcelona is not very high at the moment. Also, um, you know, you've got to think about the World Cup. You know, that's a that's a big thing. And wherever Rafinha ends up, similarly to Gabriel Jesus, they want to know that they're going to play. They want to know what their role is going to be. They want to know exactly what the first half of next season is going to look like because of how imperative it is to them as players that they are going into the World Cup in tip-top form, in tip-top shape and with the greatest chance possible of playing as many minutes for the Selesau as possible. So, you know, that's another factor to consider. Now, when you think about the Rafinha thing and you think about the fact that Bukayo Saka plays in that position, you do wonder what kind of guarantees he'll be given by Arsenal, but I'm sure there will be some guarantees. You know, there will be something that is giving Rafinha the impression that Arsenal would be a good stop for him, a good move for him. Um, and, and it's as simple as that. We don't know what conversations go on in the background. We're not privy to all of that. But I'm becoming increasingly more confident that a deal for Rafinha is doable. And that is because of, you know, obviously what's happening with the competition, the biggest competition that we believed to be Barcelona. They're the club who've shown the strongest interest. They're the club who Rafinha has shown an interest in joining the most. But their current situation gives me confidence that if Arsenal move quickly and incisively, we can get this deal done. Now, you can't afford to let this drag on. You know, that's where I agree with people that are a little bit sceptical of this. You cannot, you simply cannot drag this on and on and on and on. You know why? Because if you do, things could change. The landscape could change. Barcelona could raise the money. Barcelona could enter the race for Rafinha and that massively, hugely, in fact, complicates things. So I think at the time of recording, you know, we we think that Arsenal are going to go back in with another bid. Uh, David Ornstein says that we're going to intensify those efforts to sign the player. Uh, more talks planned with his camp in order to, I assume, convince him more of the project because I don't think money is going to be a problem. I think Arsenal will more than be able to pay the wages that Rafinha is probably looking for. Um, so I think it's more about convincing him of the project. And then, of course, there's that big stumbling point at the moment, which is meeting Leeds United's valuation, which Arsenal seem at the time of recording a little bit reluctant to do. And I get that to a degree. Um, you know, I get it. I, I think 65, when I first heard that 65 million for Rafinha, I kind of went, whoa, feels a little bit steep, feels like a little bit too much. And I'm sure Arsenal think that too. And so at the very least, they're going to try and strike a deal at a much lower price if possible. However, they might find themselves in the situation where they have to cough it up. And if they do find themselves in that situation and they still push through with it, then you've got to take your hat off to KSE, to Edu, to Mikel Arteta, to everybody involved for, you know, having seemingly done their due diligence, having identified a player they wanted and having gone that extra mile in order to get that deal done. Okay, that's the Rafinha bit. That's the update on the Brazilian. In fact, you know what? Let's take a few of your questions and comments with regards to Rafinha because there are a few um, in here. Uh, lots of you wondering about um, Barcelona, uh, you know, what they might do. And, and a lot of you have pointed out that uh, Moots points out that Barca have already signed Kessie. As she says, they have Kessie already. Listen, I've watched a lot of Frank Kessie. I'm a massive Serie A fan. Good player, but he isn't Frankie de Jong. 
He isn't going to do what Frankie de Jong does. He isn't going to dictate the game and set your tempo and your rhythm in the way that Frankie de Jong does. He'll give you a lot in midfield. He'll give you power. He'll give you the ability to get forward. He'll bring you steel, strength, and, and a very high level of technical ability. But he's not Frankie de Jong. He's not a play dictator in the way that Frankie de Jong is. And when you think about Xavi and you think about him as a player and what you'd imagine his philosophy would be, it feels crazy to think that he would not want to go out and get somebody or find a way of, you know, plugging another hole in order to give somebody else the opportunity to become that dictator in the middle of the park. I think Xavi really, really um, values that role. And I don't think that he's going to, um, I don't think he's going to allow Frankie de Jong to go and then the money to be spent on another position without addressing the hole left by Frankie de Jong, in my opinion. Uh, let's continue through. Uh, Jay Sayers says, Rafinha will start at Arsenal 100% and Saka will be moved to the other wing. That's obviously a possibility. But then what does that do to Martinelli, to Smith-Rowe, um, to Fabio Vieira, who I think might end up, particularly at the beginning of his Arsenal career, operating from those wide areas from time to time? Um, I think it's really, really interesting. Look, end of the day, there's going to be more than enough games for everybody to play enough. You know, we're, we're back in Europe. We're in the Europa League. Uh, the, the season next season looks a little strange in terms of the fact that there's a few months that are really jam-packed to facilitate the mid-season World Cup, which is an absolute joke, but we'll talk about that another day. Uh, so, you know, you, you could argue that there's plenty of game time for all of them. I think you could see Rafinha and Saka playing in the same forward line from time to time, um, and that will be really, really interesting. But I'm just trying to base it on on what we've seen from Mikel Arteta so far. I'm trying to base my thoughts, sorry, on what we've seen from Mikel Arteta so far. And I think he likes the idea of inverted wingers. So he likes the idea of a left footer playing on the right and a right footer playing on the left. He likes that idea. It also then creates space for his fullbacks to get into and to be effective from. So I think that might put him off of switching Saka to the left-hand side just because that would mean him going on the outside all the time. And that changes our game model quite a bit. Now, I'm not saying he'll never do it, but I do think that I do think that he'd prefer to have a right footer playing on the left and the left footer playing on the right, just purely based on on what we've seen. I mean, there's been times where we've looked really light on the left wing, where Mill Smith-Rowe's been out, Martinelli's not been in tip-top form, and he's been reluctant to put Nicolas Pepe out there, for example, who could have probably done a job. You know, he did it a couple of times the season before last, playing from that left-hand side, and I thought he did quite well. But obviously, Mikel Arteta doesn't like that. Now, a large proportion of that will be down to the fact that he doesn't trust Nicolas Pepe. But I also think part of it is the fact that he doesn't want a left-footed winger playing on the left. But it will be interesting to see how we manage that. Um Let's see what else we've got. Uh, Rancid uh, Pumpkin says the Brazilian connection is Arsenal's biggest advantage. I'm not even going to say that it's a Brazilian connection. I'm going to say it's a, the Portuguese speaking connection, if that makes sense. Because you've got Edu there, right? Who's obviously heading up things. And we know that Edu is a very... He, he comes across as a very popular guy. He comes across as someone who's very good at building relationships more than having an eye for talent, more than being a tip-top scout. I don't think that's what Edu does or brings to the table. I think Edu is a good face. He's someone that can go out there 
build relationships. We've seen him build relationships with Kia Jurabshan. We've seen him work with uh, George Mendes, another super agent that Arsenal in the past would have steered well clear of in order to get the Fabio Vieira deal done. Um, you know, he's obviously been able to kind of build some kind of relationship with Deco, or, you know, Rafinha's agent, in order to try and get this move in to try and bring the club and the player to the table. So you've got Edu at the top of it. If Gabriel Jesus comes in as well, that's another Brazilian Portuguese speaker. Rafinha could be another one. Then you've got Fabio Vieira. You've got Nuno Tavares. You've got Cedric. And all of a sudden you have a load of players that can almost form a little bit of a click. I mean, if you remember at the beginning of Arsene Wenger's time, it was almost called the French Foreign Legion, wasn't it? When a number of French players came in. And I'm not saying that you want those clicks or those divides in the dressing room, but I think them being a collective just really help them to settle and really help them to kind of get each other through what is ultimately a big life change, right? Coming from one country to another. And in those days, it was even less common. So I think having that contingent there um, isn't the be all and end all, but it does, I think, make those players feel a lot more comfortable in their surroundings. And I do think that, um, you know, it's a, it's an important factor. Uh, Taylor Barraclough says, finally caught the live show. Do you think Saka would play on the left if we got Rafinha? What does that mean for Smith Rowe? Because he was struggling against Martinelli for that position. We kind of touched on that just now, Taylor. Um, but I, I don't think Saka will play on the left much, um, if I'm honest. And uh, and so I do wonder. I'm not necessarily sort of worried or panicked by it, but I am intrigued to see how Mikel Arteta is going gonna, is gonna to manage that situation in the event that we do get this deal over the line. Uh, what else have we got? This is an interesting question from uh, Baguma, who says, is the addition of these players, potentially, obviously, adding more pressure to Mikel Arteta? Of course. Um, there, I've seen a few tweets, and I there was a tweet earlier that I really uh, wanted to address, and I did address it on Twitter, actually. Let me, um, let me just bring it up, and I'll share it with you guys. I'll share it on the screen for those of you... Um, watching us live on YouTube or watching this back on YouTube at the moment. Bear with me. Let me share the screen for you. There it is. Um, so it was in response to a tweet from um, Jason Sutar, who's a writer at Football365Planetsport.com. He's a contributor to the AFC Newsroom and the Daily NUFC. He's a former Opta analyst as well. He tweeted, um, next season is massive for Mikel Arteta. Zero excuses now. The whole squad will be his and the overhaul will have been basically complete. So basically going along the lines of, of what you said, Baguma, that yes, great, we're doing business, it seems. We're working very, very hard to get these deals over the line. But what does that mean for Mikel Arteta? Does it add pressure to Mikel Arteta? And does it take away the ability to find excuses for the Spaniards, should Arsenal fail to qualify for the CL next season? Well, this was my response. I said, yeah, you know, it puts him in a much stronger position to succeed, for sure. But if the expectations set are unrealistic and we ignore the additional factors that can affect results, then we're missing the point. If a good, and I put in sort of quote marks, if a good window guaranteed goals being achieved, this wouldn't be the game we love. And I then went on to say, to be clear, because I had a few questionable responses, should we put it that way? Let me be clear. I'm not saying that the manager can't be held accountable. 
if we fail to achieve our goals, only that there are no guarantees in football and making predictions now can leave you looking silly. Remember those whom said we'd be relegated or barely finish in the top half. And I think that's really, really important. I think it's important to realise and recognise that you can't really make predictions um, based on what we know today. We don't know enough yet. The window's not complete. We're not even close to completing uh, our significant business. We don't know exactly uh, what the future holds with regards to the window. Will we do more? You know, will we get Jesus and Rafinha over the line and then do more? Will Lissandro Martinez, for example, be coming in, which would add to the squad? Will we go back towards the back end of the window for Yuri Tielemans? That makes a big difference too. So my point here is that, you know, people shouldn't be so quick to jump to conclusions around, and I'm not having a go at Jason. It's just his was the tweet I came across and that was the one I quoted. The point I'm trying to make here is that, you know, three games into last season, people were talking about us being relegated. And there were people that were dead serious about that. And that sounds a bit of a laugh at the moment, like now when you look back on it. But there were Arsenal fans out there who were dead serious. I've got Arsenal fans who are friends. You know, Dan Potts said that we'd be lucky if we finished in the top eight or something along those lines. Forgive me, Dan, if I misquoted you, but you, you thought that we'd be around about eighth. And then when the end of the season came, the same people were complaining that fifth was a massive underachievement. So it just goes to show that if you are too hasty in your predictions, sometimes you can be left looking a little bit silly in one way or the other. So I don't want to make those predictions now. I don't want to judge those predictions now. My goal for next season from an Arsenal perspective is to see the club get back into the Champions League. That can be via the Premier League or that can be via the Europa League. I'm ultimately not that fussed how we achieve that as long as we do. Um, so, yeah, let's take a, a few more comments and then we'll we'll do a lengthy Q&A bit at the end. I just want to focus on um, on the Rafinha stuff at the moment uh, because that's kind of where we're at at the moment. Chris says, don't you think that Rafinha's purchase could be being made to help protect Saka in the long run? The amount we play him, he could burn out like Rooney did. Yeah, I think there is a, an element of wanting to protect Bukayo Saka. You know, we could protect Gabriel Martinelli last season by playing Emil Smith-Rowe when he was available. And then when Emil Smith-Rowe towards the back end of the season had injury problems and needed that protection, Gabriel Martinelli was on hand to provide that. Add Fabio Vieira to the mix, because as I keep saying, I know a lot of people disagree with this, I wouldn't be surprised if he plays in one of those positions in the early stages of his Arsenal career. Um, you know, but there's still a need to, to protect Bukayo Saka. And somebody like Rafinha gives you the ability to to walk into the team and deliver. You know, he scored goals in the Premier League. He knows what it's all about. He's proven that he can deal with the physicality, the pace, the tempo. And he's played under one of the most intense managers I've probably ever come across in Marcelo Bielsa. So he knows what it's all about and he can be an instant solution as opposed to a maybe solution like Nicolas Pepe is. I do think Nicolas Pepe will be leaving the club this summer. I think that that will be something that Arsenal will probably push harder for once a deal for Rafinha is wrapped up um, and, and it feels like a good replacement. But I do think, yeah, I do think there's a thing about wanting to protect Bukayo Saka. I think that's a real important point here. But I also think that there's a, a, a fear at Arsenal as well that they could lose Bukayo Saka as well. So this would also be mitigating that potential issue as well. Uh, let's take um, one or two more. Um, Mogambo says this has Vlahovic written all over it. Listen, I can understand why people feel that way. I really do. I, I do. Um, let's just hope that 
but that's not where we end up. Uh, Chris Pickerel says, uh, cheers from New York. Smash that like button, people. Always love the content. Harry's worth getting up for. Thank you uh, so, so much, mate. And a big shout out uh, to everybody joining us across the pond. Um, also, wanna, you know what? Let me do it now uh, before I forget. And that would be so wrong of me. I want to say a massive thank you uh, to Matt over at the Cincinnati Gooners, um, who very, very kindly uh, sent me this fantastic scarf. Another one to add to the collection, the Cincy Gooners making moves. Uh, do you know what? This is incredible merch. I love this. I really do. The other side's beautiful as well. Look, you can see it there. Really, really like it. Um, thank you so much, mate. Honestly, really, really appreciate it. And as I continue to uh, drape the studio in scarves from Arsenal America chapters all over the world. It's amazing. Um, look, I'm going to share their page up on the screen now. Uh, give them a follow on Twitter at Cincy Gooners. Uh, you can see it there. And a massive thank you to them and to everybody else across the pond, because I know we get a lot of love and a lot of support uh, over from the States. And uh, I hope as many of you as possible are able to go to uh, Arsenal's pre-season tour uh, over there and, and get to see the team up in up in close quarters because I think we here sometimes take it for granted how lucky we are in that sense that we get to kind of go and watch Arsenal week in week out and it's just you know it's a bit of a given they also sent me these amazing goodies as well um so uh massive thank you uh to you guys check these out let me focus them on the camera amazing really really cool stuff and thank you guys so so much um here we go Gunner Deja Vu says WTF you know what that stands for. Harry already making excuses. What the actual F? I'm not making excuses. I'm just saying that don't be so quick to jump the gun with your predictions. Don't be so quick to put ultimatums on stuff when you don't really know what the full picture is, is all I'm saying. Okay. Lots of Mikel Arteta and Arsenal's critics last season were moaning, crying, whinging, about the fact that we were going to finish in the bottom half of the table, we were going to get relegated. And when the rest of the world was looking at Arsenal and going, oh my God, fair play to them to come from that, to being in the Champions League race. Mikel Arteta's had a good season. Arsenal are making progress. Arsenal are developing. Those Arsenal fans were still moaning and whinging and wanting to find the fault in it. And actually, a lot of you were doing that because you didn't want to be seen as going back on your previous opinion. Do you not realise it made all of you that were so overly critical about the team without understanding the full picture, without understanding there were circumstances outside of our control at times that impacted us, you were made to look so silly, so silly. You were made to look like people that have nothing better to do than moan and complain and whinge as opposed to getting behind their team. And I'm not speaking about you specifically, Gunnar Deja Vu. This is a very general statement, but it's a lesson to be learned. There is a lesson to be learned there. Don't jump to conclusions. I'm not jumping to conclusions in a positive way by saying that Arsenal are definitely going to get in the Champions League or definitely going to press on in the Premier League because of the business we've done. But equally, I'm not going to sit here and draw up ultimatums for my manager before pre-seasons even started. It's crazy. Um, that's that's all I'm saying. OK, um, lots and lots of, um, of, uh, of brilliant uh, comments in there, but I'm going to ask you to put a hold uh, on the questions for me because uh, I'm going to touch on a couple more points and then we're going to move over to questions and we'll spend probably the last half an hour of the show simply doing questions. Um, so let me uh, let me just bring you guys up to speed on a couple of other points. Uh, other news to note, Matt Turner, uh, we hear that 
all the sort of stuff behind the scenes is being done, the the interview, the all of that official stuff um, that we're going to get some of that for the announcement, all of the the usual things that Arsenal do when they bring a player into the club. We think that we're going to get that for Matt Turner in the coming days as he uh, joins up with the team for pre-season. Uh, William Saliba, a player that many, many uh, Arsenal uh, fans would uh, like to see extend his stay at the club, is said to be in contact with the club at the moment. Negotiations are ongoing over an extension to his contract. And apparently, uh, according to a number of reports, they are uh, those negotiations, I mean, are moving in the right direction and uh, going in the right way. So fingers crossed uh, we'll hear something on that soon. Um, Gabriel Jesus, as we touched on the other day, a fee has been agreed finally between Arsenal and Manchester City. Uh, we were told that personal terms needed to be ironed out. Some say that that's not going to be a problem. That's not going to be an issue. And we're hoping that we get some further news on this in the coming week. Uh, we've also heard with regards to Lissandro Martinez, who I touched on a little bit earlier on, that Arsenal are readying an improved offer after they uh, made an initial offer of €35 million Euros for the player, which was rejected by Ajax. So we think that Arsenal are going to go back in for him and we think that Arsenal are going to go back in for Rafinha. OK, those are the updates. That's the latest. Let's go over to the questions. Um, start filling them up in the chat box. If you put a question in already... Start putting them in again. Just put put a queue at the beginning because I can't go back all the way through the chat box. I'll pick questions from now. I'm going to get through as many as I can in the next sort of uh, half an hour or so of what remains of the show. Uh, but before we dive headfirst into the chat box, please do leave a like on the video. I can see there's nearly a thousand of you with me live on this Sunday morning, which is incredible. Uh, only 192 likes on the board, though. Let's set a target of 500. That should be more than achievable. Get involved. Like, like, like. Doesn't cost a thing and really, really helps. Gunnar Deja Vu responded um, to what I said and, and fair play, mate. He says, sure, Harry, but if after being backed as heavily as he seems to be, he still can't be expected to make the UCL, then we might as well pack our bags and go home. No, listen, and, and I said that in my follow-on tweet, didn't I? That If we don't meet our goals, that doesn't you know, the, the, the fact that I'm saying calm down a bit doesn't mean that I abstain all blame from the ref, uh, from the referee, I was going to say, from the manager. I think that you can't always be that black and white in football. I think you have to think about the situation. Like, like, for example, if you get to the final game of the season and you're in fourth place and you lose 1-0 to a bad penalty decision and then you end up missing out on Champions League football, will I be beating Mikel Arteta up over that? No. You know, I think there'll be other factors at play there. And, and all I'm saying is that you can't, I don't think you can be that black and white in the way that you decide a manager's fate. I think there are so many factors that you need to consider and take into consideration. And so for me, I don't want to be sitting here going, if we don't achieve X, Y, Z, sack him and I'm not hearing another word about it. I just think that's too knee-jerk. I think if you think back to Chelsea, right? Chelsea have been a very successful club over the last couple of decades under Roman Abramovich. They've had managers who've come in and won the league and been sacked. They've had managers who've won the Champions League and been sacked the season after. So the point I'm trying to make here is that sometimes the picture is bigger than, and sometimes the picture is bigger than just the last few results. And that's why you can't always be so black and white. 
you know, Chelsea would be accused of being too knee-jerk and, and would be accused of being, you know, really irresponsible in the way they handle managers and the way they sack people and the ruthlessness that Roman Abramovich shown was often criticised. But ultimately it worked because they were winning trophies for the best part of two decades pretty damn regularly. So the bigger picture is what needs to be taken into consideration and is what needs to be used, in my opinion, to decide whether someone is the right manager or not. You know, Unai Emery, if you went purely on his first season and results-wise, missed out on the Champions League by, what, a point? Lost in the Europa League final. The margins were so fine. But you could see in the second season that everything had gone to shit. And so what, do you stick with him because he was only a point off the Champions League? Do you stick with him because... um? you know, because of the fact that he went to the Europa League final. No, you don't, because you look at the bigger picture. And the bigger picture showed us and told us that he'd lost the dressing room, that he wasn't able to get the most out of the players, that tactically it was a little bit confusing at times, that there wasn't that respect between him and the players. And so the bigger picture dictated to us that he wasn't the man to move forward. That's the point I'm making. Um, but thank you. Thank you for responding. Um, really do appreciate it. Uh, let's see uh, what else we've got. Um, Bobby says, uh, I don't understand why we're so critical. This is the first time I'm really happy for the future since a long time. Agree with you, mate. 90 MFC says, I think it was a hell of a season. As you stated, start of last season, everyone had us 8th to 10th. December, we were sitting at 4th. No one was expecting that. Agreed. Um, somebody here uh, telling me I'm chatting shit. Thank you. Um Oh, appreciate you being here to listen to the shit. <laughs> uh, what else have we got? Oh, oh, look, we got we got to make an appeal here. Uh, Ninety MFC wants to get to Arsenal's preseason games. Uh, he says he's got a toddler, and his wife is in her final trimester, making the next Guna. And he's trying to convince the wife to let you let him go. Mate, what can we do? Can we appeal? What's your wife's name? Let me know your wife's name in the chat. And we will do a, a heartfelt appeal that you can clip up and uh, and show to your wife. <laughs> uh, guest, what, uh, guest 2181 says, Harry, is this evidence that clearing the wage bill in January was a short-term loss for a positive long-term gain as we now spend a lot of money this summer on players like Jesus and Rafinha? Absolutely. Now, we can only talk about that if we get those deals over the line. We, we believe we're very close to getting Jesus over the line. And hopefully this week we'll make some progress on Rafinha as well. But absolutely, I kept saying to people at the time that if this allows us, if what we did last January allows us to then go bigger in the transfer market, then I'm OK with it. If it allows us to do what we need to do this summer in order to take us to the next step, as opposed to us being knee-jerk, reactionary, and doing something that wasn't necessarily going to work, I was fine with this. Let's hope that Arsenal prove me right in my patience around that time. Uh, Luke Williams says, if we get top four next season, do you think we carry on spending next summer like we have been? I think that what you have to say, whether you're KSE in, KSE out, shake it all about, whatever you want to be, you have to say that since they've taken full ownership of the club, there has been an increase in spend. And you have to say that that's been done against the backdrop of a pandemic. A lot of clubs have used the pandemic as an excuse to their fans to, to kind of put their foot on the brakes when it comes to showing ambition in the transfer market. 
Um, others simply can't, um, you know, others simply can't uh, spend money at this time because of the, the long lasting impact of the pandemic. And that's fine as well. I think that what was recognized by KSE when they appointed Mikel Arteta was that everything needed to be ripped out and start again. And they also recognized that they need to spend money to do that. Right. And that includes not just the money we've outlaid on players, but the money we've essentially written off as well by terminating certain contracts. That's really key, too. That's really, really key and really important as well. Um, so do I think that we'll spend like this next summer? It's, it's difficult to say because there might not be as much need for a big spend if the team this young team is developing, growing, moving forward, pushing forward. You might only have to add one or two players. So it's hard to predict that, but I don't think they'll spend if they don't really have to. But I think now they've acknowledged and recognised that they do have to. Um, you need to spend afterwards. You need to speculate to accumulate. You need to spend to stay up there. And I think that will come as well. But the, it won't be as big as the outlay that we've seen over the last couple of summers uh, under Mikel Arteta, in my opinion. Uh, let's see what else we've got. Uh, John Knott raises a really good question. Any news on the plan for Balogun next season? There really isn't. Like This has been really, really quiet. I don't really know what to make of this. Is following Balogun uh, going to return and be part of the squad? That would make him the third choice striker. Is he not? I don't know. The fact that it seems Eddie Nketiah has been given guarantees around his game time in order to persuade him to sign suggests to me that, you know, Arsenal still don't think that Balogun is quite there yet. But, you know, it only takes one of Jesus or Nketiah to pick up an injury, if indeed Jesus joins. I don't want to jinx it. it. only takes one of them to pick up an injury before we do need a backup striker. And, and Balogun could be waiting there. I think it's only worthwhile sending him on loan if you send him out to the right place, the right club. I don't think Middlesbrough was the right place. I don't think the championship is always the right place. I think it gives you some skills. It toughens you up. It gives you those core values that you maybe need in terms of competitiveness. But the football's very different. The standard's very different. Um, you're talking about very different philosophies in the way that football's played, unless you're, you're talking about a select few group of clubs. And I don't think it necessarily prepares you for Premier League football. I think that if Balogun is going to go out on loan, we have to be very careful in selecting the right club. I don't think we've always been good at that with some of our players. And therefore, their loan spells have been far less successful and helpful than we wanted them to be. Quick reminder again, uh, if you haven't hit the like button, what are you waiting for? We've got 265 likes on the board. I've set a target of 500, which should be easily achieved because there's over a thousand of you with me live right now. So please do hit the like button if you're on YouTube. Subscribe as well to the channel if you are new. Uh, Rancid says, uh, do I think that the Rafinha deal uh, will happen before... Uh, the US tour, don't know, uh, not only in our hands, is it? That's the problem here. Uh, it would be nice, wouldn't it? But, you know, if it isn't, it isn't. He could always fly out and join up a little bit later on. Uh, Deflected Mind says, do a collab with Arsenal Opinion Podcast and the Latte Firm, Harry. I'd love to. I'd love to. I'll definitely reach out to the guys and see uh, if their game, that'd be amazing. <laughs> Wondering Minstrel uh, says, can we get JLo for Harry as a guest? I don't think I'd be able to do it. I think I'd be too giddy. I'd be like a little kid in no point. <laughs> um, Tremaine Johnson, another one. Stop it, Harry. Come on. 400 million pound plus spent and completely his team. If we fail next season, sorry, but he has to go. I've not even said 
that he wouldn't have to go. I've not even said that, um, you know, he. I've not said Mikel Arteta, regardless of what happens next season, should 100% keep his job. I've not said that. All I've said is I'm not going to be drawn on ultimatums and saying this or that on the 26th of June. That's all I'm saying, man. That's literally all I'm saying. Um, nothing more than that. Uh, big hello to from Dial Square to Where. He says, hi, Harry. Nice to watch live for once. I listen to every episode on Spotify normally. Hope you're okay, my friend. I'm good, man. Hope you're well too. Uh, I hope everything is good. I hope family's good. And uh, thank you so much for tuning in, man. Really, really do appreciate it. Uh, okay, let's um, let's uh, keep going through. Uh, Omar says, clean shave or keep the beard for you? Having that dilemma as I head off for a much needed trim this afternoon. I can only speak from my own personal experiences, Omar, but every time I talk myself into shaving off my beard completely, I instantly regret it after I've done it and think I look like a seven-year-old. So <laughs> up to you, mate. Um, Patrick O'Connor, big hello to Patrick. He says, love your content, Harry. Been watching from back in 2018. Thank you so much, mate. He says, where do you think Arsenal will finish if we get the players linked to? Well, my goal for next season, what I think is a fair goal, et cetera, et cetera, um, is Arsenal need to finish in the Champions League. Now, whether that's from the Europa League or from the Premier League, I don't really care. I'd actually quite like it to be via the Europa League because that for me would represent more progress. I think you can get a better understanding of where a team's at based on their league form. But having said that, I'd still love to win a European trophy because that for me would be amazing. Um, where do I think I finish? I think we can qualify for the Champions League if we get the players that we need. I think last season, we showed a lot more consistency. Okay, there were dips along the way for sure, but we showed a lot more consistency overall than we did in the previous years. Um... And I think if you look at the second half of the season before that as well, you'll see that there was consistency there too, or much better consistency, which suggests that this progress has not just been there to see for one season. It stretches back a season and a half now. And so that's what gives me encouragement as well, or gives me more encouragement that we're moving in the right direction. I think we can make the Champions League. I really, really do. Um, if we get the players that we're being linked to. When you take into consideration what we saw last season, the development further of some of those young players and the idea and potential of bringing in some really strong recruits, I don't see why not. I really don't. Uh, JW says, any chance of a birthday shout out, please, Harry? Absolutely, mate. Uh, one of the regulars here. Hope you're well. Happy birthday to you. And uh, I hope you have an amazing day. Fingers crossed we might get some news later uh, that might... Um, that might improve your birthday further. But no, genuinely, mate, uh, all the best. Have a great one. Uh, Raphael says, uh, hi, Harry. I'm glad to hear that many fans are following your show. The conversations on the show continue to be insightful and interesting. Congratulations. Thank you so, so much, mate. Uh, really, really do appreciate the support. Uh, what else have we got? <laughs> Chattery agrees with me that if he shaves his beard, he looks like a baby too. There you go. Uh... What else have we got? The socks guy says, who makes your Arsenal analyst? Sorry, who makes your Arsenal analyst Avengers list? Mine are you, Tom Canton, Sophie from the Hybrid Squad, Clive and Mo Hyder. Yeah, they're all brilliant. They're all superb. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. Uh, Jay Brooks says, a thousand plus watching. Hit the likes, people. Don't forget to subscribe. Yes, please do. We're still 200 short of that like target. I said, what is going on? It should be easy. It should be easy. Um, 
Big hello to uh, Neophidos, who joins us from Cyprus. He says, trust the project. It's too hot in Nicosia. I can only imagine. You don't even have a beach near you uh, to go and enjoy it. But uh, big hello to everybody over in Cyprus, the motherland as well. Um, still quietly hoping that I might be able to get over there in the not too distant future, maybe before the season starts. Uh, but big hello to everyone in Cyprus. Love to you all. Um, okay, let's take a few more questions. Here we go. Sasha says, Partey is still Mr. Irreplaceable. What is plan B if he gets injured? Two sixes like last year. Do you trust in the cover or do we need a central midfield power option? With Partey fit, we get Champions League. Without, I don't know. I do think that the absence of Thomas Partey was massive at the back end of last season. It was huge. And you're right to point out, that we had to move back to two sixes, which had stunted the progress, really, if you think about it, because we'd finally got to this place where Mikel Arteta was playing with the one defensive midfielder. And he could do that because Thomas Partey was so good. And the fact that we could then push the other two on gave us more creativity. It gave us the ability to press more effectively. It gave us the ability to strangle opponents and really get an upper hand. So I think you're right, you know, for sure you you want to be in a situation where you can emit, you have someone who can come in and do what Thomas Partey does. And I agree with you that I don't think we have one. Um, I think that we've seen Granit Xhaka as a lone six in the past and it doesn't really work. I think since Thomas Partey's come into the side, he has improved Xhaka because he's got the right environment around him. But I also think a big part of it last season or a big reason as to why Mikel Arteta was reluctant to play with just the one six in Partey's absence was as much because he didn't have his fullbacks available as it was because he didn't have Thomas Partey available. I really do believe that. I think that that made a big, big difference. If you've got Tommy Asu at right back and Tierney at left back, for argument's sake, the defence is much more solid and therefore you'll feel like you can leave the centre of it a little bit more exposed by only playing with the one, even if it's not Thomas Partey. And I think that in the long run, I think it, in... Mikel Arteta's mind, that player is is probably Lokonga. Although I don't know that Lokonga is cut out for that role. I, I think he's able to break lines with his passing. I think he's able to, to give you that technical security there. But is he as combative as Thomas Partey can be? I don't know. Maybe that's something that he'll grow into. Maybe that's something that will develop in his game. But we heard last week, didn't we, that the intention was for Lokonga to stay put. That he isn't going out on loan this season. That gives me that gives me reason to believe that Mikel Arteta sees him as the next Thomas Partey, as the one who can step into that role. Now, whether he's going to be able to fill those boots or not remains to be seen. I'm not saying he can. I'm not saying he can't. What I am saying is that based on the fact that he's going to stick around, I think that's probably the role that he's going to do. I really do. Um, but I agree with you. Without Thomas Partey, we're a significantly weaker side. And in his first season, he was a little bit up and down, Thomas Partey. But last season, when he was fit, with the exception of maybe one or two games where he had stinkers, I thought he was superb throughout. He's so important to us. So, so important to us. Chris Johnson says, how many losses in the league next season would be a failure? More than this season. <laughs> the season just gone. But also, you know, if you... <laughs> If you lose the same amount of games, what was it? 13 games in the Premier League this season, was it? Um, let me just double check that before I start spouting out facts that aren't even even right. Yeah, 13 games. We lost 13 games last season. 
if we lose 13 games again, but we finish in the top four because we won an extra one and didn't draw, who gives a shit? Like, I, I don't base success and failure based on the number of losses. I base it on where you finished because you only need to be above the teams that you're in competition with. Um, so I'm not massively worried about that. But I understand why people look at last season and think there was there was too many defeats. There was, for sure. Um, Maximus says, Chris Wheatley reported yesterday on progressive four-year contract talks for Saliba. But is there any update on Bukayo Saka's contract talks? Shouldn't be anything holding him back from signing a new one. No update as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm aware. Um, and I agree with you, that's, um, that's a big one, you know. But I think part of convincing Bukayo Saka this is the place to be is, is getting these deals over the line for these players that are going to come in and make a big difference. Getting the likes of William Saliba perhaps to commit his future getting, you know, showing progress on the pitch. I think all of those things are going to be key in convincing Bukayo Saka, who, let's be honest, his contract, when you take into into consideration the extension uh, clause and option that Arsenal have available to them, isn't running out till 2024. So it's still a couple of years. So you feel like you've got the next few months at least to convince him still as well. Big hello to uh, Sticky Drummond, who joins us from Jamaica, says, I really like your podcast. Hope you're well, man. Thank you so, so much. Uh, really appreciate you being here. Uh, Christian says, hi, Harry. Considering Rafinha deals... Um, sorry. If the Rafinha deals get done and maybe Martinez, will we push for Tielemans before the window shuts? I don't think the Tielemans story is over. I don't know that. I, I don't have any information on that. I just It's just the gut feel that I have. Um, the Arsenal having, if you believe the reports, done so much background work in the past to convince Yuri Tielemans that Arsenal is the place for him, having worked so hard to kind of to do that side of things, to then not even make a bid to Leicester and not even try and push this through, feels weird, crazy. Like he, how could he have been that high up the priority list and now it's just completely off the table? I think Arsenal are biding their time with this one because they don't want to pay more than what what Yuri Tielemans, given his contract situation, is worth in their eyes. Now, they were happy to do that with Gabriel Jesus, it seems, but you can't do that with everyone. You've got to pick and choose. And I think the centre-forward position is a much bigger need for Arsenal this summer than what Yuri Tielemans would bring us. Um, that's not to say that I don't want him. I do want him. I've said throughout the window I like Yuri Tielemans, and I think he'd be uh, a very, very good addition. But yeah, um, let's see. Let's see. But I, I, I don't think that is completely off the table just yet. Uh, Martin says, Harry, anything concrete on departures yet? Not really. Um, but when we talk about departures with Arsenal, we talk about a lot of players that we deem surplus to requirements. Other clubs know that we're not really all that interested in keeping. And so what happens is clubs don't want to go in head first and commit to buying those players at this stage in the window when they know that if they hold out and hold on, they could probably get a better deal. So I think with the departures, I think you'll see a lot more movement towards the back end of the window. What's really encouraging is that Arsenal don't seem to be waiting for that to happen before they go make moves of their own. And that's been the story of a number of windows in, in recent years. So it's good to see that we're being proactive as opposed to reactive. And, uh, and I do have confidence that we'll move a lot of those players on but I expect it to be towards the back end of the window. Nick Bryant, a uh, big hello to Nick, says, Harry, do you feel that any of the academy graduates will be added to the first team squad? And if so, who? Great show, by the way. Thank you, Nick. Um, 
not really. I mean, Charlie Patino kind of got the closest last season by featuring in the Cups, but I don't know that Mikel Arteta is... I'm not saying he's. there's no emphasis on youth because there absolutely is. Edu literally sat down and told us that a few days ago. But I think there's an emphasis on now as well. And I think that they will want to continuously develop those players and progress their careers and get them to the point where they can be embedded into the first team squad. But I don't think we want to be in a place where we're relying on them. And so I don't think there's as much um, urgency in terms of accelerating some of those guys' career paths. I think Patino will be in and around the setup again, going into the cup games, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but I, I think that's probably about it right now. Maybe someone else will emerge in the summer. There's, you know, Ulad Mahad. Um, you know, he he appeared in the squad a few times. Uh, Norton Cuffey is someone that people talk a lot about. Maybe they'll be involved at some point. But I haven't seen an awful lot of them to be able to give you a really sort of in-depth opinion on that. There's a lot of people out there that I'm not ashamed to say have a much better knowledge of the under-23s and of the youth setup than I do. Uh, really good question, though. Let's uh, take one more. Uh, what have we got? Uh, uh, let's pick out 33 fivers. Let's take this one. This will be our last question. Um, Harry, great work as always. Do you believe Fabio Vieira is an alternative to Tielemans? Well, at the time when that deal was done, everybody said no. You know, all the big journalists said, no, this does not alter Arsenal's plans in their pursuits of, and they named the number of players that we've been linked with. So I don't think this guy was brought in as an alternative. I think they'd like him to play in that sort of position at some point. But as I keep saying to you, he looks very slight. He doesn't look particularly physical. And I'm not saying that means that he can't become that or isn't able to play in the Premier League. We've seen lots of slight players make incredible careers in the Premier League because their technical attributes and their great football brain and intelligence has kind of given them an advantage in other ways. So I'm not ruling Fabio Vieira out of playing in that position ever, but I just think a good way of embedding him into the side would be giving him a role that's a little bit further up the pitch that has less defensive responsibility attached to it. And I think that's the way Arsenal will go with this lad, particularly at the beginning of his Arsenal career. And we spent a lot of money on him and that ultimately raises the expectation level right away. But I don't think that Fabio Vieira um, is being brought in for now, for today. I think he's being brought in very much for the future. And I look forward to watching him develop, hopefully without too much pressure on him. Uh, thank you for the question. Great question, uh, as they've all been this afternoon. Thank you so, so much. Look, we're going to leave it there. We've been going for the best part of an hour. There's over 1,100 of you with me live on YouTube right now. This is amazing. Uh, thank you all so much. I know it's Sunday. People spend time with their families. People spend... Uh, time with their friends, people, you know, get their shit done that they don't get to do during the week. So to see so many of you, over 1,100 of you live with me right now on this stream is pretty incredible. So thank you to every single one of you. What I'm going to do before I go is get you guys to drop in the chat box where it is you're joining us from, and I'll reel off a few of them uh, as we close the show while you guys are getting the likes up to that target of 500. We're still 130 away. So start smashing that like button and start letting me know in the comments where it is that you are joining us from. Don't forget, you can check out all the recent content from the Chronicles of Aguna uh, on the YouTube channel or on the podcast. Now, there are, have been a few videos over the last few days that have been exclusives 
on YouTube. So they've not gone out in podcast format. Why? Because they've been six, seven minute videos talking about breaking news in which there isn't an awful lot of information to go into. They've simply been reacting to it because I want to keep you guys up to speed. So if you are a listener on the audio platforms, it's probably worth uh, subscribing to the YouTube channel as well. If you'd like to go one further and become a member of the channel and help me uh, in my quest to deliver you Arsenal content on a daily basis, you can do so. I've got an announcement coming up this week about what we're going to be doing for our members in the new season. So please do get involved. Uh, right, let's give some shout outs to some locations uh, before we wrap up. We've got Ireland, uh, Fairham, we've got Glasgow, Hinkley, Cincinnati. Uh, there's Matt, the main man. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate uh, you sending the scarf and these wonderful uh, goodies over there as well. Look at these. Look at these bad boys. Fantastic. This one, I think, is a sticker. I might put this one on the back of my laptop. Thank you so much, mate. Uh, O'Shane joins us from Kingston. Uh, Brian is in Connecticut. We've got Russ in Windsor. We've got West Palm Beach, Florida, Texas, Marlow, Nairobi, South London. South London are like me. Uh, India, Newbury, uh, Manhattan, Egypt, um, Bulgaria, so many places, uh, Belgium, Bermuda, Munich, uh, Stockholm, Tripoli, Norway, Derby, West Midlands, Tanzania, Switzerland, Clacton-on-Sea, uh, Mickey Morris, uh, Manipur, Malawi, uh, Dominica, uh, Jamaica, Nottingham, wow, Bali, Indonesia, uh, Jamaican, Arsenal is in my heart, so sticky German, we've got Nigeria, Reading, we've got Catalonia, Spain, we've got uh, Kingston, uh, Iraq, New York, Cape Town. Uh, Simi says here, cheers. <laughs> we've got uh, China, we've got Melbourne, Australia. Thank you all so, so much. I'll be reading these uh, all day. Um, thank you all so, so much. I'll catch you all very, very soon with more Arsenal content. Until next time, take care of yourselves and enjoy your Sunday. Goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Harry Simeon.